Hello there, you're listening to the Vitality Podcast. My name is Nat Edwards and today I'm joined by mental health social worker, Dr. Jenny Ryder. Jenny, welcome to you. Great to have you on board. Oh, hi, Nat. It's nice to um, talk to you as well. So I think I just want to start pretty um, simplistic, I guess, first of all. I mean, tell us what exactly a mental health social worker is and what is it that you do? Okay, good question. Well, a mental health social worker is actually a specialisation under the Australian Association of Social Workers, to which I belong. And a mental health social worker is very much focused on mental wellness. So we do the usual activities of a social worker, as in assisting people with access to various resources, but we are very focused on the mental wellness journey with the person. And what made you want to get into this field and I guess what makes you so passionate about it? I decided that I needed to be a more active participant and supporter of people with mental illness and therefore I chose to go into mental health social working after over 20 years of being a teacher. I have a lived experience of mental illness and I found that along the journey I knew what was good for me, what was appropriate for me, and I think I've got a synergy with people and therefore I decided to go into the practice of mental wellness as opposed to being a recipient of it. I guess that's really helpful for other people too who might be experiencing um, some mental ill health, that just to have someone that they can maybe relate to who has been there and sort of experienced mm. what they might have done. So that must be really handy and nice to be able to relate. It does come in handy. Um, as a professional social worker, I'm also quite aware that I have skills in the area of listening to people so I don't take over and certainly do not become that person's journey. That's their own unique journey. I am standing beside them. That's a really nice way to look at it. So I guess mental health is a fairly broad term and for some of our listeners out there, they might not exactly be quite sure about what it is. So can you just break it down a little bit more for us and and the community out there? It's very interesting over the years, Nat, that this term has been at times changed around mental Health is one broad term, I think, and it's been misinterpreted mainly by the media. It becomes like a catchphrase. Mm. Uh, yes, mental health then becomes like mental illness. I don't know if you've noticed that. Yeah. And it, there is a confusion. And just taking a couple of seconds, when we strive for good mental health, it's no different to looking after your physical health. So if I'm talking to someone about the way they are feeling the way they're seeing and interpreting the world. I talk about it in terms of their interpretation and we often feel unwell. We sometimes don't feel like going out for the day, that sort of thing. So we rest. So there's no reason why we can't have the same approach to mental health, mainly feeling good about ourselves as we do with our um, physical health. So I think it's um, not to be a stigmatised term, mental health, and that's what I was getting at originally in Mm. answer to your question. Mental health is about mental wellness. It is not about mental illness. We'll get to some stigmas and I guess Mm. um, some tools and strategies a little bit later on, but obviously this is the Vitality podcast. I do want to ask you about your role in the program and um, the benefits that you've found have been involved. 
My role is to speak with people around the lower end, shall we say, of mental wellness. And I don't mean that in a disparaging way. I mean that when a person has the courage to come into this room, they bring with them, and I mean the counselling or the session room, wherever we are in um, vitality at the time. It might be in co-located with the physiotherapist or we might be in a chuka at a wellness centre, a whole range of places. We might be up in Hillston where I've been uh, in the lovely OT's office, a whole range of places. But when they come in, they are quite confused. They're not quite sure at times why they're here. So what's <laughs> my role? My role is to ensure that they feel that they are safe that they can share either the deepest that they want to go and some people actually get straight into it and they will tell me what is bothering them and what has been on their minds for a great many years. And in fact, a lot of childhood memories seem to be triggered by just coming in and talking to a counsellor. They may never have spoken to a counsellor in their entire lives and now they have the opportunity it is really like being a hero to step across that threshold and come and sit down with someone they'd never met before so there's that Uh, the other part of I suppose what I do it's called low intensity because I, I did say earlier it's about just gently introducing the person to the role of the counsellor and that yes again I said it's a safe space so if they just want to have a cup of tea with me that's perfectly fine. What I do like to do by the end of the session is ensure that the person understands why they've turned up and if they have had their needs met. Have they actually been able to talk to me at a level that's comfortable for them? So I do a a low grade, I suppose you could call it assessment. I explain everything as I go along and I always ask the person to stop me if they don't understand my language because sometimes We social workers can use jargon and um, (laughs) I certainly don't want that to be a barrier between the person and myself. I can imagine um, there might be listeners out there who are just thinking, oh, I find the thought of going to talk to a stranger quite daunting. Others will think, oh, it's probably really refreshing to be able to say all of these things to someone that you don't know that might not be like that won't judge you and can say whatever you like. But there would be a large number of people who would find it quite a daunting exercise to sit there and actually um, still their guts, so to speak, to to a complete stranger. Um, What would you say to people out there who might be feeling a little bit apprehensive about it? I think the important thing is to know that they're going with their gut feeling. They are actually entering that room because they have a motivation. There is something they may not even be aware of it. There is a feeling, there might be a thought that's flashed into their mind where it's occurred to them, I really need to come and talk to this lady, to this person. I think the thing that does help is that I'm about their age. (laughs) I am a person with senior years, so to speak. <laughs> I'll say it. I'll say it again. S- senior years, <laughs> and uh, I think they're pleasantly surprised <laughs> when they walk in and notice that um, I have the shall I say the wrinkles of experience, <laughs> and I also don't um, expect them to fill the room with with sound. And I certainly do not speak above, uh, over them. And if there's silence, silence is a good thing. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it could be awkward at times. That's why I always 
encourage a person to have a drink of water or tea or coffee. So I have lots of cups of tea during the day, which is quite funny. But um, anyway, (laughs) yeah. You'll be running back and forth to the toilet if you're anything like me when tea goes straight through you. <laughs> you're, you're right. You're ahead of you're ahead of it. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I do indeed. Um, I guess we've changed a lot in the last sort of five to ten years when mm. it does come to the mental health space, and yep. um, I think as a society, being able to talk about it more, embrace the fact that we actually need to maintain wellness in this space. Mm. There is still a lot of work to do because there mm. does seem to still be a stigma associated with it and we're trying to break those downs but is that still a barrier do you feel? Mm, Very much so. In my previous life as a teacher I was uh, very much aware of cultural diversity and you see that even in the most homogeneous or or a group of people that might all look the same age, Mm. might do the same things but when you start to ask them just those subtle, gentle questions about what do you enjoy doing, what keeps you healthy, and then you notice that they are isolated. So they could be in a a large city or they could be in a small country town, but they don't mix. They don't want to go out of their comfort zone. So that's one of the things that I try to encourage in the um, session is this is okay. If, If you want to speak to me about anything, that's fine. And some people actually need to be debriefed or have that support around institutions. You would be surprised how many people still have what are known as memory traces of where Auntie Olive went all those years ago and never came back. Uh, And this generation, so the 60 plus generation, I would say, uh, they know that maybe mum went away for a few months Yep. And dad said we couldn't visit her or we yep. don't we don't know where Uncle Johnny is anymore. He just disappeared. This loss and detachment from community and family members is something which lives on in the person from being a young person, a child, right through to when they're sitting there talking to me and people will cry. They will cry and they, the grief that they can explore with me a total stranger is something they've probably never felt safe and to do ever forever I guess too that sort of that generation as well as maybe they grew up in an environment where it wasn't necessarily okay to talk about your emotions and that it was you know just cry on the inside but you know don't show it you got to have this tough exterior especially in sort of more rural communities that sort of outer toughness is is that something that you you sort of see a lot and that would be hard to break down I do see that I do indeed interestingly Nat the people who seem to uh, come out of their shell uh, I suppose in a, a faster manner is the male the gentleman they will come in and they will talk a little bit slowly to start with but then once they've established, and I always have a joke, I am not going to pull your fingernails out. They're quite happy. They're quite happy. Oh, good, good. Okay. So you're not one of those shrinks or you're not. So I spend a good part of the first 10 minutes allaying their fears that I am not a doctor of 
you know, psychiatry. I'm a doctor of education. So yeah. that one's, that's good. But the next part of it is about their lived experience and their lived experience of drought, of dispossession. I work, I've worked a lot and continue to work with people who are on the periphery of society, particularly people that have been in out-of-home care who may not know this, where they are eligible for services. So I get very interested when people tell me that they have been in homes in foster homes not not with families but where they have been put into institutions under the child protection because those people have incredible trauma they also can at times be part of what is known as the forgotten Australians people that have lived in institutions and have been deprived of their liberty have not had a family as such and also in some cases sadly have been sexually abused. So I do work with a few people that have had that experience and that trauma-informed approach that I bring to it, I believe actually can draw from the person a lot more. But there's also a balance because that session that I do with Vitality is not counselling. We might call it a counselling room because it's quiet, nobody can hear what we're talking about but it is very much low intensity, low acuity discussions. It's interesting that you mentioned that a lot of the time you see men and they're just happy to talk and sort of let it all out because I would have thought that maybe sometimes it's the opposite, but is there, and that's a generalisation, but is there a difference in the way that men and women approach things in, in that age group? What I notice is the women can talk about the connections they have with other women, we could call it the sisterhood, maybe the modern uh, equivalent, or they can talk about the fact they don't have connections. So they're able to express connection and disconnection. Yep. Men skirt around it. Men would say, oh, yeah, I've got a few mates and I see a few blokes down the pub. But there's not that connectedness that you can find with women. And the okay. other thing, of course, is, and you've already noticed it, I can do a lot of talking, so I've got to be very careful (laughs) that I do not, like some people I know, and I'm going to have to say some ladies I know, dominate dominate the conversation. I tend not to use body language where I might stare at the person or, you know, I obviously would not do that, but I certainly use a whole lot of techniques where I don't put them on the spot. So if a man says... Yeah, he's got a few mates down at the pub and they look after each other. That's fine. A bit further down the track, I might say, oh, so how have you found vitality? Oh, and he might say, well, there's some blokes here I've met I never thought I'd even talk to. Never even knew they existed in town. (laughs) So it's been quite a, a positive, empowering experience. And I know, particularly with the group, and I'll mention names, over in Echuca, that there are people there that have set up their own groups support groups for each other. Oh, that's so lovely. And that is one of the great things about the program. And when I've spoken to other participants, that's one of the things that they speak about is that they still catch up for little coffees or walks together and um, that's outside of the Mm. Vitality program. So it is bringing communities and people together. Connection is obviously a, a great thing when it comes to maintaining your mental wellness. And I think as humans, we thrive on that connection. But what are some other good strategies when it comes to trying to maintain your mental wellness? 
Oh, definitely exercise. One of the observations that I've made about uh, people's capacity to see the brighter side of life and to also laugh is the exercise and the cognitive components of vitality. And the, even the dietitians, I should say, advice. This generation, and I'm going to say my generation of the 60s plus, we've seen amazing changes it's been a revolution in so many ways, in lifestyle, in contraception, in learning, you know, being able to, if you were in that generation, to go to university for that short period of time when it was free. Mm. There's been so much available for us. And now they're feisty. This group wants to keep going. And it's wonderful for me to see people who are slightly older than me and they're out there and they're exercising and they're talking about protein mm. Those people invariably have the better mental health outlook than a person who sadly may have had a condition. Uh, it could be a physical condition. And these things happen. And it's really, you know, it's just unfortunate that some people have medical conditions which get in the way, particularly chronic pain gets in the way mm -hmm. of their capacity to enjoy exercises exercising and, and doing different exercises and that again is the beauty of the vitality program because the other practitioners are assisting people the physio the ot the cognitive specialist they're assisting those people to see outside shall we say the box of exercise it has to be you know someone's got to be pumping iron or you know <laughs> running around the block that ain't us. <laughs> That's no. not us. We're, we're more into the gentle, keep your mind active, keep your body active and just look at what you're eating. And I think that's the, uni the unifying feature of the Vitality Program. Yeah, I love that. And like, I mean, exercise, walk counts as an exercise. If you do mm. a 20-minute mm. walk around the block, uh, you don't yeah. need to be, you know, running marathons or doing anything too crazy. Are there certain foods or anything like that that can also sort of contribute to maintaining your mental wellness? Oh, well, you're asking a mental health social worker, <laughs> not a dietitian, but I'm going to have to say protein-rich foods. Yeah. So it, it will be part of the program and the specialists talk about that but what we've already recognized is that people are onto it they talk about their the sorts of the fish that they eat they talk about the whole grains they talk about getting the calcium one of the things that I'm very keen on is vitamin d this is not outside my scope of practice I think the use getting vitamin d uh, through sunshine but yep. our specialists in the vitality program will also talk about Sometimes people need to go back to the doctor and, and seek supplements or to their their other alternative practitioners. So it's holistic. Yeah, and that's the best thing about this program because it targets a number of different things and it's a holistic approach that, you know, everyone can try and implement something and things that speak to them. But if there is someone out there who's listening to this podcast and they want to get some support because maybe things aren't feeling as good mm. for them in the mm. mental wellness space, where do they start and, and what advice would you give them to, you know, taking that first step, which is often the hardest step to kind of mm. put your hand up and say, I might need a bit of help here. Mm. I think going to your GP, I think the GP is the central part of the story of how a person 
first of all identifies with him or her, the specialist in general practice, what it is that is bothering the person. And GPs also have the capacity to develop mental health treatment plans with the person. And that's a Medicare funded process. So that's something they can talk to the doctor about. There are also other programs in the area in which Vitality operates. And there are programs, for instance, that Murrumbidgee Health organise. There are online programs available that are relatively inexpensive if someone wants to, you know, wants to learn more about anxiety, depression. There's quite a lot. And I think the Vitality Program also has that capacity to, in their book, to provide resources. And I certainly, in my sessions, give people a group of resources which I select according to what we in the room have identified as the major issues for the person. I mean, you've obviously seen firsthand what the Vitality Program can do for people. If there are people who are interested in getting involved or trying it out, but maybe are a little bit hesitant, what would you say to them? If you've noticed, I've been talking a lot about courage. And I think being a person over the age of 60 is not a barrier to seeking out new opportunities and to take a journey with like-minded individuals who are probably just as scared as yourself going into this environment. But I'd say do it. You're not going to lose anything from going to a session or two. If it's not for you, well, talk to the coordinator and, and explain why it's not quite for you. It might not be what you're looking for now. All the feedback that people give us, the participants give us, is like gold. And there's another reason too why I think this program is phenomenal. It's because sometimes the focus is on such negative aspects of mental illness that we lose sight of the multidisciplinary team approach. And I have made a commitment in my mental health social work that I want to be part of this team. And I don't think people can be truly comfortable unless they've got other people around them. So that goes for practitioners, but it also goes for the individual who's seeking a better way of living their lives. That's really great advice. And I think um, people are very lucky to have you on their team. Thank you, Jenny, so much for joining us on the Vitality Podcast. Thanks, Matt. Thank you.